0: Welcome back to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Rolling. Two, two,
1: three. Good. Yeah, Yeah, I've tested them. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris, and I am here with you again. Uh, We're capturing a series of interviews here at the Worldview Leadership Academy. Uh, this is happening in Port Colborne, Ontario, the last week of July, and it's been a real pleasure to uh, to have uh, regular faculty coming through, sharing their the wisdom and insights and experiences from their unique uh, uh, spheres of ministry, and with me today is Dr. Joe Boot, uh, who many of you have met before. I'm also joined by Corey McKenna, who is, uh, who is no stranger to us. Corey's been... Uh, been working and partnering with us and speaking and teaching at, uh, at Ezra events for the better part of a decade now. He is president and equipping evangelist at The Cross Current, and uh, he also hosts a, uh, a podcast uh, on evangelism called The Equipping Evangelist. Corey, it's, it's good to see you again, brother.
2: Glad you're here. Right, it's a joy and privilege to be back. It's been a little while. All right. Well,
1: it's uh, we've had some some stuff. Right, we've had some, some interruptions over the <laughs> past little stuff. while. Yes.
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, that, that's part of what uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, but uh, our theme, uh, as we as we go on, we're dealing with a series of uh, issues that are facing the church, uh, and uh, there are several, so we need to do it in series. But uh, one of the uh, the theme that we're we're hitting on today is uh, termed Christian courage, and that's not. Uh, no doubt, there is a an element of courage that needs to be cultivated in the uh, you know, the work of personal evangelism that you're engaged with. Uh, that's uh, that's something that you've you've made a life out of uh, training and equipping others to uh, to develop and to do that. Uh, but uh, there is uh, broader than that. We've uh, we've just come through a uh, an unprecedented uh, several years of our. Uh, What's been called the COVID moment, variously, where your a lot of your work uh, has been more more than so many others uh, because of the face to face nature has been thrown into uh, you know into upheaval. Uh, in a lot of cases, the uh, the bread and butter of the work of the cross current and the uh, that face to face ministry that's that was illegal for a time. Um, right. So there's a. Uh, there's an element there of uh, of courage that is that is absent from uh, from a lot of other uh, other callings and vocations. Uh, maybe open us up by just talking about how you uh, how you've been working to uh, to overwhelm or to to press on through and carry out the calling that uh, that's on your heart uh, through uh, through these times.
2: That's a great, this is a great topic, Ryan, for sure, and I think um, in terms of Christian courage, I look back over church history and I feel like a lightweight compared to some of those that we esteem as, as courageous for good reason, And but just grounding my thoughts in Scripture, uh, as you were sort of setting up the episode, uh, I thought of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, an intrinsically gospel witness passage or gospel mission passage where Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we are to persuade others. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think it it follows that if we fear God first and most, then everything else makes sense. Conversely, uh, if we fear anyone or anything other than God, we become a slave to that which we fear most. And uh, we can get into the implications of that fact, but, but certainly if we know the fear of the Lord will be moved and motivated by His Holy Spirit, and we will persuade others to surrender and submit to the Lordship of, of King Jesus. And so, um, so yeah, I, I just think it needs to be said that, uh, yes, I'm an evangelist, but I, as what we call an equipping evangelist, uh, I was a pastor for many years before I was an evangelist, and so uh, God's plan is the church. It's the kingdom of God advancing through His church. So I I just wouldn't want us to disconnect the work of evangelism from the local church. If you need a a 75-cent term for for your listeners to chew on, it would be ecclesiological missiology. I think we're all in this together, and I think what we saw through the past few years is a sort of divide-and-conquer tactic that it didn't just affect evangelism, it affected discipleship, which uh, which is really important to mention as well. Right.
1: No, that's uh, that's an important point. Actually, it's uh, it's one of the points that I, I wanted to uh, to get to today. Uh, you are you just explained the the importance and uh, centrality of the local church in in uh, God's ongoing mission. Over these past couple of years, and you know, continuing on, the, our churches, uh, the the membership, the uh, the individual souls that make up those churches. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot of turnover. We've seen we've seen people leave. Uh, we've seen people come in, darken the doors, who have you know haven't been uh, sometimes in uh, in decades or for their whole life. Uh, people who have been seeking the uh, the refuge or the fellowship or the community that, that uh, for for some some reason they imagine this can be found in the church. Uh, and you've also got. Uh, what is non-christian you know what's uh, what's come to be called the, the freedom fighters uh mm-hmm. liberty movements that are that are not grounded in in christianity uh but recognize that hey amongst the christians they are they're working they're doing a lot of the same things we're in a lot of the same spaces so there's uh, there there's efforts uh, or uh inclinations to uh, to work together to partner on uh, in some capacity uh how has, how has that kind of discipleship aspect shaken out where you've got, uh, got a, lot of, a lot of people new to and sometimes not interested in Christianity for its right. own sake?
2: Yeah. yeah. I'm just always amazed how uh, we always talk about building conversational common ground on image-bearing qualities. I think if you look to Paul in Acts 17, uh, Paul said men of Athens are very religious. People are inherently religious by nature. And so in terms of freedom... I mean, uh, that's pretty central to the gospel message. It's a message of freedom. It's a message of peace with God. And so those concepts, I believe, as, as image bearers, we do share a desire for freedom. Now, we're talking about, obviously, freedom from sin and death through Jesus Christ. But I just think it needs to be said that um, Paul would teach us that the church is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. I think one of the things that might have been lost in the shuffle— of the whole covid season and uh, lockdowns and all these things is you know as we give romans 13 a rest if we can just give that passage a rest for a little bit um you know one thing one thing uh, uh, john is emphatic about is we're to love one another in the truth that jesus came to bear witness to the truth and as his witnesses as his witnesses i mean martus, the idea of a martyr you hear that word embedded in that in that, uh, in that Greek, the original Greek, that we are to be witnesses of, of what? Of the truth. And so um, these concepts of freedom, these concepts of truth, these concepts of justice, they belong to King Jesus. And, and we have to understand that. And I just think it becomes a wonderful evangelism and apologetic opportunity to declare to a very lost and dying culture how Christ is king over those things that they know are real and they actually desire on some level. And so those just become amazing points of cultural engagement. If, if Christians were to actually understand the Christian worldview comprehensively, uh, we know that uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things. They all belong to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's your line. I'm sorry. I stole your line, man. Yeah. Uh, you stole mine at the intro, so we're, we're, we're fair. Um, but yeah, and, and this, is, this is the thing. We need as Christians, before we open our mouths and worship Christ in that way, gospel witness is, gospel, is, is worship of Christ. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, how is Jesus Lord over that? And then declare that to the people that that are showing up at our churches. It's a wonderful thing God's done. I mean, uh, when the darkest is when the dark is the darkest, the light shines that much brighter. I know that's an overused saying, but certainly in in John's theology, light and truth and darkness and error are, are metaphorical terms. And and I would believe we need to declare the truth to the culture. There's many ways we can do that.
1: Yeah. Corey, Joe, you, you both uh, over the past few years have, you know, come to be you know, prominent and trusted voices in these, uh, in these spaces. Uh, what, uh, can you just say, say more about this, uh, this gospel witness that, uh, that Corey just mentioned? Uh, how has that been sort of applied? How has it been obtaining, uh, over, especially uh, in the, uh, in the, the climate and culture that we find ourselves in now?
0: Well, it's been a challenging time, as you alluded to already, the last two or three years. And I think that one of the things that I found uh, t- disturbing uh, during the last two or three years was the way in which that pillar and buttress of the truth that uh, Cory has just referred to, the, the of course, the kingdom of God is bigger than the Ecclesia. The Basileia is bigger than the Ecclesia. The Ecclesia is the called out people On mission in terms of the basilea so the the, there is a called out people being given a kingdom um, and that's why Jesus talks about the the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom the kingdom of God throughout his ministry and then he refers to this new people he's going to be a few times but he constantly talks about the kingdom so the, the the church is not an end in itself it's to be buttress and support of the truth and if we fail to do that in the task of gospel witness, then we're actually failing our Savior. We're failing our King. And I was, as people know, I'm sure, was troubled and disturbed by the fact that we felt for for a, a, a large number of people in the church, felt that in this particular moment, in this critical time, the church need not be buttress and pillar and support of the truth, that gospel witness need not go out, uh, that uh, we, the notion that the Great Commission, I mean, Corrie reminded our students today in his lecture that when we read the Great Commission, the first two words of the Great Commission are not go, uh, go into, but actually all authority. Jesus begins the commission to make the gospel known with all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And that's the basis on which we go. There's no other basis on which we could possibly presume to have have the presumption, the arrogant presumption, to disciple nations, (laughs) to, to baptize peoples and nations, unless the one who has all authority in heaven and earth had given us that authority. Now, there is nowhere in Scripture that gospel witness is caveated with the terms unless there's a war on, yeah. unless there's a virus, unless there's this difficulty or that difficulty. There is no ifs, buts, or you know, do you mind if I don't? Uh, in the there's no get out clause for gospel witness in the commission that Christ gives to His people. You can't suspend gospel witness for two years because there's a bug going around. In fact, the early church, it was the opposite. Whenever there were plagues and challenges and crises and wars and rumors of wars, that's when the church's gospel witness came into its own in an even greater fashion. And the notion that we could ever be commanded by the state to cease making known the gospel to people, because we're locked up and they're locked up, uh, that we could be we could cease from baptizing the nations is unthinkable it's absolutely unthinkable that Christ's authority could be curtailed in this manner and that the buttress and support of the truth that in fact when you look at the gospel witness requirements of not just sharing the gospel the manifestation of the gospel in praying for the sick and so on laying hands on the sick and so how does that happen in a context where you've accepted the unilateral, indefinite lockdown of the kingdom people, the ch- the community that is buttress and support of the truth? So it has been a very challenging time for organizations like Corrie's, for, for churches, for organizations like the Institute. And of course, we seem to be in at least most parts now climbing out of it. Um, but that legacy is with us. We've lost... Certainly in parts of the church in England, 25% of churches never reopened. I think it's a similar figure in, in Canada across the board. Um, that is a catastrophic failure of the church's commission. But when Paul says to his, his disciple Timothy, he's telling him to fulfill his ministry, he says, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths but as for you, be serious about everything, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And uh, that is what we as God's people must be concerned with, whether we're grappling with viruses, uh, whether we're grappling with state overreach, whether we're dealing with wars and rumors of wars, whether we're dealing with radical um Agendas, political pseudo-ideological agendas that want to shut us up, want to close our mouths, want to prevent us from speaking, want to want to tell us that what we're saying is hate speech. This is where the courage comes in—that uh, uh, we 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 stand as soldiers of Christ and we endure hardship and we continue to do the work of the evangelist. And yeah,
2: and Joe, it's just as you were as you were talking there, it reminded me that the great the heart of the Great Commission is obedience to the King. It's to teach people to obey all that he's commanded and obviously we we search throughout scripture and there are dreadful implications for not gathering as the church we understand you know baptism the lord's supper Mm -hmm. laying laying hands on the sick all those things are true one one uh, discipline of the christian life or one uh, obligation of of all christians that i think has been overlooked as well is is the idea of suffering and rejoicing through spiritual gifts I've become convinced in my mm-hmm. study of 1 Corinthians and and Paul's affection for that church, a church that had serious missional drift, let's be honest, and uh, he certainly talks about unity in the gospel, but he, he paints this picture of spiritual gifts, of Christians suffering together, rejoicing Together. I would go as far as to say we love one another supernaturally and maybe even primarily according to our spiritual gifts. If we were to make a short list of how many spiritual gifts we can use over the internet, it's a pretty short list. And so I I would just I I would just caution people to realize that the the behavior of the church is not just sermons and podcasts. There's more to the church. Those teachings are critical, devoted to the apostles' teaching. But we look to the early church, we see they were all using their spiritual gifts, rejoicing, suffering, ministering grace in, God in, in various forms. And how do we do that if we don't gather? Mm-hmm. And that really becomes we worship a suffering servant. When we suffer together, I'm thinking of John 17, that you will be perfectly one as we are one, so that the world would know Jesus is mm-hmm. sent through the spiritual gifts. We mm-hmm. really look and sound that much more like Christ. Together, what would it look like if a church would unify in the gospel and the gifts, and despite the elements that are pushing against us, we push forward, Uh we preach Christ according to our spiritual gifts? It's interesting
0: the way you put that, actually, is something came to mind as you were speaking there, that even preaching itself, you know, we kind of said during that whole period, well, you know, at least that you can preach on the, as you say, on the internet, uh, at least you can uh, um, you know, have these uh, r- recorded messages um, that people are either watching the week after or, or, or live uh, pod beams or whatever they may be. Um, it was interesting that one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century that many evangelicals looked to uh, was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He didn't even like the fact that, that uh, his messages were kind of taped and recorded. Many of them were. But I remember him speaking about that as though somehow these could be substitutes for the in-person, live reality of what is taking place when, you know, Scripture says to those that teach, speak as those speaking the very words of God. There is something going on super, supernaturally, if we can use that terminology, uh, spiritually, that God the Holy Spirit is doing in the interaction, that is, the preached Word amongst the gathered congregation, as we as the the, the people of God hear the Word of God together, respond together, as the, the person who is delivering the Word is responding also to the way the people of God are responding. There is a transaction going on there. The Holy Spirit is at work in a peculiar and a unique way. And Joe, now, not to interrupt you, and I, man, I, I, I just want to throw a word into the conversation. I think
2: is is really spot on and appropriate. I mean, we can all lean into the fact that the gospel is, is and gospel witness is proclamational, right? The idea is, it's to be proclaimed. Psalm ninety six: Tell of His salvation from day to day. Faith comes from hearing the word of the Lord. You're born again by hearing the good news of the gospel. But gospel witnesses also to be incarnational. Mm-hmm. I, I think of uh, in John's gospel, uh, or I should say in John's letters, when he says, he says in 2nd and 3rd John, he says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete that mm-hmm. that uh, literally is mouth mm-hmm. to mouth mm-hmm. we saw from the english in, the english translation but john is clearly talking about something so personal so intimate it must be said in person that's not just for practical reasons that's for incarnational reasons absolutely i think of 1 John 1, uh, this is sort of our go-to passage of gospel witness. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, we looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, we've seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest. (laughs) The Uh incarnation is about the physical reality that God showed up that mm-hmm. which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son Jesus Christ here's what he says we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete there seems to be a a convergence here of this this idea we thank God for you know seed sowing on the on the internet our mm-hmm. ministry does some of that you can reach the world that way. But gentlemen, we're all, we're all sitting here uh, in one room together. We know, we know there's something different happening when we gather together. And I would say, not to be, not to be mystical, but just to be biblical and, and, and theologically sound, that that's an incarnational aspect of mm-hmm. both of both uh, discipleship, but certainly evangelism. Yep, We've absolutely. all had it happen. You come into contact with a non-Christian, often, before you open your mouth, there's something that's offended them. The yeah. kingdom
0: of God is near in that That's sense. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that t- that famous text, you know, when two or three are gathered in my name, they're mine. I don't think that applies to on the telephone, mm-hmm. right? That is about the, the the reality of the incarnational presence of the spirit amongst his gathered people. They are together. You know, they've, they can greet one another with a holy kiss. They can pass the peace uh, to one another, um, which is, I think, that—which is why we so often read Paul longing, he's saying, longing to be with you, to see you, uh, to be together. Um, you can't—I I said, actually, during the, the, that whole period of time uh, frequently that you, you can no more have a virtual church, a virtual gospel witness, than you can have a virtual marriage or virtual parenthood. It's not the same. It's, it, it simply isn't the same. Mm. and that's, that's precisely why the Lord Jesus promised the Paracletos, the one the same as himself, who, who sent by the Father and the Son, the Filioque, that, that it wasn't the, it wasn't sufficient that Christ just go up and ascends to the Father and, and, and his session at the right hand of God, and that we be left alone. He says, "I'm not going to leave you alone." I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to be with you forever. And uh, this, is the, this is the fact that we're not left, at, left as orphans. So even in the absence of Christ's physical presence with us, we have the, the immediacy of the presence of the Holy Spirit. God at his most empirical amongst us in the in in the person of the Holy Spirit, and I and I'm I'm I am concerned that there's other factors to this now. You know, I'm reading articles here and there about AI and the use of AI in worship, writing sermons, choosing worship songs, replacing staff members. I saw this even on a TGC uh, article uh, recently. Um, we have to be very careful. That we think that we can replace human technique, technicism, and uh, technology can somehow replace incarnational reality, and uh, I think we learned that we've learned that the hard way uh, these last couple of years, especially in this area of of evangelism.
1: And, uh, I was just thinking. Yeah, uh, last night uh, we did a uh, we recorded another episode. We had a live Q and A with the students here. We've been talking about uh, identifying idols. Uh, one of the themes of this week, and somebody had the uh, the thoughtful question that: uh, "Is it possible to uh, to make the, an idol out of the Bible itself?" And Joe, you answered actually yes, uh, and then made the point again from John one that it's it's Christ who is the Word. That uh, the the incarnation is not. We, we is god god's gracious revelation to us and that is the ultimate expression of of himself and uh, his uh, his word to us so it's just uh, you know the the example of of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is a, is a powerful one that i think is has has Maybe not not been reflected on enough over the past uh, the past couple yeah, of years. There's a sense in, in which
2: evangelism is is following in, in the master's footsteps, and obviously we know that uh, that uh, Christ being um, you know being being born and in the incarnation that's 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 his work, and and we don't want to rob him of any glory, obviously. But there's a sense in which that as uh, Ephesians talks about, we're seated in heavenly places, that we. St- Step into this world in a demonstrative sense. We need to be willing to step into the muck and mire of this world. The Son of Man came not to uh, came to seek and save the lost, and we need to be willing to model that for other people. And you know, I remember being in a uh, in a leadership meeting with a bunch of of wonderful guys, church pastors that I love dearly, and and there was a whiteboard at the front of the room, and uh, the question came up: Hey, if if we could put one word on that whiteboard to cause really, really critical discussion about our time and place and maybe what's lacking in the Church, what would that word be? And I'm sure there could be lots of words. There could be prayer, there could be holiness, there could be many good words. The, the word that really um, kind of typifies my personal Christian experience and, uh, and even um, even ministry affections would be example or imitation. in the ESV talks mm-hmm. about follow my example, be imitators of me and uh, we are commanded to imitate the faith of our leaders in Hebrews. We were just commanded to do that. As a leader, uh, it causes me a great deal of introspection to ask myself the hard question, is my example worthy of imitation? Was my example through these last few years worthy of imitation? Do I want my, my family like my own household, do I want my household of faith? Do I want those that I influence through the ministry that God has graciously allowed me to to uh, to direct? Do I want all of these people on my bus per se to follow my example? Uh, that's a hard question. I think we'd all would say, to some degree, no. But um, but it would seem as though those who pushed forward through this this difficult season, um, I, I think we have a pretty clear conscience. That this 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 is the way uh-huh. that we have to walk.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, um, Corey. Just uh, related to uh, how you how you've been applying this gospel witness. I just I just wanted to ask you in in the course of uh, these uh, these COVID seasons, uh, what uh, what can you tell us uh, from your experience about so the the spiritual temperature of you know, of Canadians of people who you are or you're ordinarily ministering to like our, uh, there's a, you know, we've, we've been told we've been fed, uh, news reports and, uh, official diktat that, uh, we're supposed to effectively fear our neighbor to, uh, to go back to where we, where we opened up. Uh, how, how is that? So what kind of, uh, impact has that had on, uh, you know, on on a population, and how has the, the sort of response to a gospel presentation been? Uh, great, great question. I fact- would say
2: pre-COVID, it was hard. I mean, mm. I live in London, Ontario, and uh, in just a decade, certainly the willingness to engage in spiritual conversation was at an all-time low in 2019. It is light years different today. And uh, and part of gospel witness, and I I, I alluded uh, to this earlier, Ryan, but just to sort of uh, unpack it a little bit, that that we desire to find common conversational ground, and that common conversational ground, there's no neutrality. I'm not saying that spiritually you're for or you're against Christ, but Um, and uh, Paul would teach us that that's found on image-bearing qualities, and so often uh, a news story, a a global crisis, it brings us all on common ground as image-bearers, and we're asking the big questions. Life as an evangelist is most fruitfully lived in the big picture, Mm -hmm. and so the, the banner I would fly over those conversations for the past three years has been hope. Hope, now that's you know, you apologists who are listening to the podcast, that's right at the heart of 1 Peter 3.15. We're to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. We're, first of all, to set apart Christ as Lord, to sanctify Christ in our hearts. That's that's essential. But, um, but once we understand that only in Christ, only through his gospel is true and living hope found, we can unpack that in conversation with people. If you even just think in a basic sense, what is hope? I, I think hope is an expectation of a, uh, of a better or beneficial future. Everyone would say, yeah, that's true, but we haven't experienced that future yet. So it would seem as though that though all humans are, are commonly created with the same basic fundamental desire as image bearers for something better, yeah. something to look forward to, something beneficial, the, the presuppositional guys would say, well, yeah, by what standard is something even better? We can go there, but just keeping it simple here... Um, but we haven't experienced the future yet, so because that, that common creation implies, certainly a common creator, we can't make sense of any of that if the object of our hope and affection doesn't have all knowledge. You can only have true hope if the, if the object of your hope is God himself, because God knows the future, we don't know the future. And so that's really important, and, and you actually have those types of conversations with people grounded on a biblical worldview, and they are listening now, if you can reason from Scripture. And that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about, about fancy one-liners in evangelism. Paul would say, um, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach. Teach what? Jesus said, teach them to obey, to teach the Christian worldview and the lordship of Christ over every area. We need to be able to do that. Most Christians are, you know, as they listen, they're kind of sweating a bit because now they're they're fishing for the sermons they've been listening to for 25 years that maybe they they need to think through a little bit here. And that's not to sound snarky, but but gospel witness, one of my, my I would say, I wouldn't call him a, a close friend, but someone I've had the privilege of meeting with is Paul Washer, and I love Paul Washer, and, and he made the statement to me directly, the gospel must be taught in our time and place, not just preached. We must teach the lordship of Christ. And so, if you're if you're if you're tuned into those conversations, anything someone says that's true belongs to Jesus. Just tell them why. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that simple. I mean, we're to bear witness to the truth. Christ is the truth. The gospel is truth. Tell them why. And but hope is a topic that's just been unbelievably fruitful in, in conversation because we know their image bearing and their conscience are on our side. They desire that, they just can't get at it. Like Paul would say, you should seek God, God. not happen.
1: Right, but now there's there's more of an awareness that uh, some, that something's missing, something's not as it should be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, so It's true.
0: encouraging to see, isn't it, how God can use that period. So what well, the enemy intends for evil, God is always able to turn for good. And this opening up of, even the way that people were cruelly treated in many respects by their own civil governments, um, pushing people towards um, disappointment, despair, loneliness, financial crisis—all these different things—and what's happened now within the, the uh, people's um, find the financial reality of the Western nations, often now giving once again a greater door for for the gospel. Um, I <clears throat> I was thinking as. Uh, as um corrie was speaking as well that in a in the amidst all the cultural pressure now that we're facing uh the enemy will often overplay his hand you know when you start denying the fundamentals of human life denying denying the basic distinctions of male and female breaking down the fundamental building block of society in the marriage relationship and all these sorts of things it does begin to force questions upon people that perhaps they were not asking with the same degree of seriousness or self-consciousness before. And there are men like Corrie, in taking this gospel witness into the public space that can feel like they're standing alone. Um, That there is a certain certain loneliness because not only is the evangelist to some degree then uh, in a place of bearing witness but also, teach. so teaching the gospel, I think that teaching of the gospel is also a kind of prophecy, right? So there is, a, there is prophetic witness when you're teaching the lordship of Christ and evangelism. There's a, there's a prophetic witness mm. going on. And I was thinking about how Paul goes on in his message to Timothy in chapter 4. Um, and he says, <clears throat> in his own situation, and my first defense, no one stood by me. But everyone deserted me, may it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I love that allusion back to the book of Daniel. I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. <clears throat> excuse me and surely that gives us courage right Absolutely. even when we feel like we're standing alone christ does not leave us alone he gives us the words in the defense of the faith he delivers us he delivers a season even from the lion's mouth so that this proclamation might be fully made and the end result of courage and faithfulness in gospel witness is being welcomed into the reality of the kingdom of god the full reality of the glory of the kingdom of God.
2: And I just love, Joe, as you were talking there, just, it just, the Lord reminded me of why uh, why we're so kindred as as gospel partners uh, with, with Ezra and, and with the cross current. Um, you know, here we sit, three of us, and we walk in a certain space. We walk in a certain mission field. Like, what would it look like if we could equip gospel missionaries? And I will call them that. You're on mission, you're local, you're a local missionary. Uh, in every sphere of society, I mean, In addition to exampling evangelism for them, uh, I did a cursory study on the languages of salvation in Scripture. It's very interesting how God speaks His saving work into every sphere of society. What if we could equip those who are students, those who are doctors and lawyers, those who are in all of these areas, to be able in their space to give an answer for their hope? To give a a robust defense for the christian worldview to advance the gospel that is how the kingdom of god grows Mm -hmm. we need all hands on deck because just the practical matter is they will walk where we will never walk so this is why we need to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of christ we talked earlier, Ryan, about the fact that, that God gives these leadership roles in the church for discipleship purposes. There's only three uses of the word evangelist in the New Testament. Two of those I would flag as the work mm-hmm. of an evangelist. Paul charges Timothy to share the gospel with non-Christians, that's the work. Philip, the evangelist, is doing that work with the Ethiopian. The equipping evangelist, just a qualifier we use, would be a leadership role. Ephesians 4, context of unity, and building up the church, equipping the saints with pastors and teachers, are evangelists. That's what this conference is about. We're here today about equipping the saints for gospel work, for gospel mission, for gospel witness. That's important.
1: Yeah. yeah so, Corey, that's uh, I, I love the uh, the vision, uh, very complementary with uh, with what we're doing with at the Ezra Institute uh, to uh, to be active and influential in every sphere of life, uh, living as a consistent and thoughtful Christian. Uh, and actually, one of the uh, one of the realities of uh, of these past couple of years is that uh, in in some cases, uh, usually more more on the local level, but uh, we we actually uh, we directly and churches uh, more generically got uh, got actually grew closer to some of our uh, our local civil officials uh, for one reason or another, just because you know we uh, we as Christians were more visible and. Uh, and out, uh, speaking out, but what uh, what is the uh, what are some considerations? I guess uh, with both with our witness to uh, a public official, and uh, as well as uh, how how would we go about discipling somebody who is already in that sphere?
2: You've asked a great question, and and I just want to say, for some reason, I I can't nail this to the wall, Ryan, why what you just asked makes often more sense to a non-Christian than a Christian. Non-Christians instinctively think the church should be on the front line, whether it's church history, whatever. The church has been on the front line when crisis hits. The church is always the, again, not just the the pillar and buttress of the truth verbally, but demonstratively so. quick story, I remember... um, uh, my my pastor was getting his haircut. I hope I get the story right, but he's getting his haircut. We get, we use the same barber. If you, if you like the cut, I can tell you who that is. But uh, mm-hmm. but we're getting a haircut. And and this this lady is such such a sweet lady. She's not a Christian, but she's very practical. Uh, I think she's close. And so, logically, that's probably a train wreck. But you know what I mean, Joe, right? I I really believe God is drawing her. Good. I really believe that. Almost you know, yeah, thou God. persuadest me. Yes, to be a Yes, yes, exactly. But but you know she. Um, she, she asked me just so sincerely, hey, so what did you think of the church's response during COVID? And she's not a Christian, didn't go to church. And I said, well, probably wasn't the best, you know, uh, mixed, reviews. mixed reviews. Good, good word. Yeah, good way to say that. And, and she was just so sincere. She said, you know, I, I've studied uh, uh, a lot of history and she has this curiosity about global response during pandemics. This is before COVID. That was a thing she studied. That's a pretty now sort of study and she, she was just so sincerely confused. She said, yeah, you know, historically, the Church seemed to be right on the front line, opening its doors, mm-hmm. speaking the truth, like, what happened this time? Mm-hmm. That's what she asked my pastor, and wow. I, I picked up that conversation with her, and wow, was that humbling, because that mm-hmm. seems crystal clear to someone who's outside the bubble, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It just seems crystal clear. So You've asked some some great questions, Ryan. I, I first and foremost believe we need to we need to, to share the truth. Yes, the go- gospel witness is gracious, but it's also truthful, and I th- I think we um we have to uh, we have to graciously engage with with our civil uh, our civil authorities. Uh, I I think there's a sense in which we're kind of behind the eight ball as the church. We've been so disengaged. I think we have to build bridges uh, faithfully and fruitfully to them take some interest, sincere interest in what they do, I get it. I mean, we've got some, we've got some hung, humdingers where I live in terms of, <laughs> uh, of public office, but we are called to pray for them at minimum, but I think we can do better at best mm-hmm. and engage them.
0: I, I think as well implied in that um, what you've both said is that the need of the, of the hour in terms of the work of the kingdom of God, the calling of God's kingdom people is not, simply that we need as i sometimes say to students you know more apologeti. the notion that we just need a few experts like corey um uh, other evangelists and apologists like myself and if we've got a few of those and we just equip a few more of those things will be good we'll be able to send those handful of experts out into the various uh, spaces to do the work for us that is not what scripture teaches that's why i love Corrie's ministry of an equipping evangelist, that he's not just doing the work of the evangelist, but he's actually equipping others, because the goal is that each and every one of us, as Christians, not as presbyters necessarily, you may be a presbyter, great, but most of us aren't, most people are not going to be pastors, presbyters, priests, but that as Christians, we're being equipped at, at the butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, medicine, law, politics, education, the arts, to share the faith, to live out the fullness of the gospel, to apply the Christian world and life view, so that we're seeing evangelization, not just personal evangelism, taking place, and the 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 way that we've tended to professionalize and individualize this this calling of God's people to bear a witness to the truth of the gospel has been that we we vest that in a few experts. Oh, which company can I hire? Which organization should we hire to do that for us? When actually we are all being equipped, wherever we are, to fully manifest the life and truth of the gospel and the Lordship of Christ. Now, we don't deny that there's hard work to do there. Uh, The doctor, the scientist, the engineer, the politician has the task as a christian of not just sharing the good news with their fellow politicians but we're thinking through what the gospel of the kingdom means for the realm of politics and that's part of our gospel witness as well that's part of our evangelization that we're wrestling with well what do christ claims what does the teaching of the word of god how does that come to bear on my work as a doctor how does that impact the way I think about medicine and practice medicine? So people are going to ask me about the hope that's in me. Why do I treat people in that way? Why do I approach these political questions and so forth in that way? And given that you see the politicization of most of life today, that's not difficult. You can start almost anywhere these days with the gospel and find that you are treading on political toes, right? That's That somehow what you're saying is, offensive or is deemed um, ideological or political in some way. And that's because, as we've de-Christianized, the preaching of the fullness of the gospel of the kingdom has tremendous social and political implications, and suddenly people feel like their toes are being trodden on. In previous generations, they didn't because we shared, broadly speaking, Christianized assumptions about the world in the west as that's changing now simple gospel conversations become more and more challenging and difficult as though you're talking about politics proper so it's it's incumbent upon us whether we're teachers or politicians or doctors or lawyers or butchers or bakers or candlestick makers that we're thinking through okay what are the implications of Christ's claims the religious root of our lives, creation, fall, redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ, what are the implications of that for my work? That's going to lead to people saying, give me a reason for the hope that exists in you. Why is it that you think about, as a lawyer, justice the way you do? I've not come across that before. I wasn't taught that in law school. Why do you mm. think about it that way? Mm-hmm. Boom, there's an entry point for the gospel right there. And Joe, like your 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 commentary about
2: highly professionalized culture, I mean, in a very simplistic sense, that's sort of we've left everything up to the pastor, and we've really painted ourselves into a corner in this season because the pastors so busy. So many pastors are leaving the the, the ministry now, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a really simple illustration we use to sort of set the table for a leadership discussion on, on ecclesiological missiology uh, is is about war. And most people, when you when you think of you know of uh, of missions and missionaries and pastors and and all these these professional ministry roles, apologists, all these you know big titles. Most people, if they're being honest, they picture there's sort of that World War II motif where there's that flickery black and white film and 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 all the uh, common people are on the docks. And uh, I grew up in Halifax, so there's a port there. And uh, and the warship is pulling off the dock, and the real heroes have their guns strapped to their chest, and they're the missionaries, they're the pastor. That's that's Joe Boot on that, and we wave. And and we cut checks and all those things, and uh, and that's sufficient for winning the war, but I believe the the, the testimony of the New Testament, uh, whether we talk about 1 Corinthians 12, whether we, talk, whether we talk about 1 John 1, I believe the picture is that everyone is on that worship, the entire church serving in different ways, absolutely true, but it's interesting, my dad grew up military, or I grew up military, my dad was a, um, he flew CF-100s in the Canadian military, and there was this principle of what they called soldier first. And the idea is, is that no matter where you serve in the military, Uh, you are a soldier first, and you are routinely equipped and engaged, by example, to handle a rifle. And I would say that's gospel witness. You need Mr. Lawyer, Mr. Politician, Mr. Window Washer, Mr. Uh, whatever, whatever you do, you need to be able to handle your rifle as you go to war. You can't just leave it up to the snipers. Mm -hmm. You can't leave it up to the four-star generals. We don't win a war that way. We need boots on the ground. You have to occupy to win a war, mm-hmm. and so even Joe and I sitting here, I would say affectionately, we have two very different roles on the army of God or in the army of God, and and uh, we both respect each other. But this is this is why Christ is head of His church, and the whole thing's been leveled because we these roles aren't better; they're essential, and God has has delegated certain roles, but to equip the saints for that work.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that, Corey. It's a good, uh, a good image and a good, uh, good exhortation uh, for all of you listening. Get, uh, get on the boat. uh, Put Corey out of a job. Get, uh, get into the work of evangelizing. Start, 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 you know, start locally, start small, and it can only grow out from there.
0: Occupy till I come, as Jesus said. That's it. That's it. it. Yeah, Corey, brother, it's
1: been a uh, been a pleasure to uh, to have you here. What's your website? For people who want to uh, get in touch with you or learn more about the ministry, where would would you send? So
2: the flagship website is thecrosscurrent.com. That's the ministry I direct, equipping the church by example. Uh, but uh, there's a ministry that's associated with that called equippingevangelists.org, which really uh, which really centers on equipping evangelists in their own local churches to equip their own saints for gospel ministry. That's really the heartbeat of what we do. Uh, but you can get uh, evangelism and apologetics training at the Cross Current, spiritual gift seminars, all kinds of helpful stuff.
1: Awesome. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us. And uh, I remind you, as ever, that from Him and through Him and to Him— are all things. May God be glorified. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, and we'll be with you again next week.